Today would be a first for me in the preaching of Proverbs 31. Proverbs 30, 31. And our focal verses for today will be found in the end of that chapter with verse 27 through 31 with a sermon that I've entitled The Fruit of a Virtuous Woman. The Fruit of a Virtuous Woman. I want to take some time as we have done so already to honor our mothers who are with us and some here today and others who have gone on to be with the Lord Jesus. I have have the privilege of having my mother with me here today, the privilege of being able to join in worship with her today. I'm thankful for my mother who taught me that Jesus Christ and me being saved by Him was the most important thing in my life. She taught me the importance of seeking leadership from God in all aspects of my life, and I appreciate I appreciate her. I appreciate Tracy and her direction and love for our three boys and that she has shown them unconditional love. She has shown them that it is better to be a mother than it is to be their best friend. There are many women in life who have, who have shown this type of motherly love. And I will say, as Candy mentioned earlier, that this church is blessed to have many of them here. And we have the privilege here at Piney Grove to be able to share our mothers with the rest of the body. And over the years, I've seen moms share their talents and love with the rest of the children and people in this church. And I have seen women who, who don't even have children love and show love on the children of this church. And for that, I'm grateful. But my question for us today as we look at Proverbs 31 is this. How can a good and loving mother reflect the gospel of Jesus? How does a good and loving mother reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ? I will say by the fruit of the Spirit that shines through her life. So if you will, let's stand together. Proverbs 31 in sight. Let's stand together. The reading of the word of the Lord. Verse 27 begins by saying, Solomon writing, saying she looks well to the ways of her household and she does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children would arise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. This is what he says. He says, many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in, in the gates. Father, we ask your blessing upon the reading of the word and we pray, God, that you would teach us something about yourself today and teach us something about the fruit that we bear to a lost and dying world who needs to see Jesus in every single one of us. So Lord, I just pray as we navigate through these words today, Father, that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit, through your word, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. 
So here's the business of this virtuous woman in Proverbs. Here is the mode of operation for the virtuous woman. Is that her house is serving the Lord and is doing so in all ways that are honorable. She's teaching her household to fear the Lord, to serve the Lord in an honorable way. So let's look at the fruit of this woman of virtue on this, on this Mother's Day and let's see how they are applicable for, for every child of God in Christ Jesus. Now the last portion of Psalm 31 is helpful on this front. And just surveying Proverbs 31, I hope that you have a chance to maybe survey this chapter if you have. There's a few things that I want to point out in Proverbs 31 from, from front to back. Just surveying 31 from, from top to bottom. Here's a woman who is, who is an excellent wife. Not only is she an excellent wife, but she is, she's well loved. Her husband treats her, treats her with respect. And he is willing to give her everything that she needs to flourish. Everything to make, make sure that her home is provided for in the specific things. She loves her husband and, and, is, and is there for his good. She works with her hands to sustain the needs of her home. And if I was to balance this up against, against a New Testament, um, let's say the letter of Paul in Ephesians, I would say that, the husband and wife were willing to lay their life down for each other if they had to. She is relentless in her work. She is a generous woman, a charitable woman. She gives to the needy. She is a woman who is both strong and caring and at the same time can laugh and enjoy life. She can laugh and enjoy life. So let's begin with verse 27. There's a couple of things I want to bring our attention to as far as the fruit of a virtuous woman. What we find in verse 27 and 28 is the benefit and the fruit of meaningful and balanced work. That's very difficult in the time that we live in to have balance in our lives. Uh, strictly from a pastoral perspective, I would say one of the greatest struggles in pastoral ministry is that of balance. And so the fruit of meaningful and balanced work. Verse 27 says that she looks well at the ways of her household and she does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up, they call her blessed, and her, her husband also, and, and he praises her for her work. He encourages her in her work. He loves her. He supports her and they support each other. Now, the woman in Proverbs 31, if you were to look at the very beginning of this, of this Proverbs, is mentioned as the mother of King Lemuel. And someone might say, well, who is, who is this king? And some would speculate that this is King Solomon himself, which would, which would make the virtuous woman to be Bathsheba. Others would say that this is King Hezekiah and others would say that this, is a, this king is a fictitious king and a fictitious mother used to make an illustration to bring out the characteristics of a virtuous mother or a strong mother. And so it would do us well to take some time to take some notes from this woman of high virtue mentioned in 
in Proverbs 31. And many scholars over the years have speculated that because in the Hebrew canon of Scripture that Ruth comes on the tail of Proverbs 31, that the Proverbs 31 woman of virtue is Ruth. And although we don't know that for sure, but there has been some scholarly speculation that maybe the Proverbs 31 woman is, is Ruth. But there are a few characteristics that seem fitting to emulate, if you will. One of the first things that I notice in this verse makes me think of the, the culture we live in. The fast-moving culture seems to be moving quicker and quicker every day. One of the greatest disciplines can be that of balancing time and prioritizing one's schedule. Notice what he said of the Proverbs 31 woman as she is well attentive of her spiritual goings-on of her home. She is not one to sit by and be idle. She is not static. She knows that idleness leads to weakness. Everyone in the home has his or her part to play. Everyone has food that has been provided for them. Everyone has a, a chore or a duty in the home. The international version, the international standard version states it in this way. says that she is never lazy. Now, whether this, nev, this never, this word never is hyperbolic speech or not, this person is not known for being one that is falling short on their duties. To make sure that their home is well supplied, both physically and with the spiritual things that they need. The Apostle Paul gives a stern warning at the church of Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 6. There is a bit of a warning, an admonition. He says, now we, who's we the apostles? This is by apostolic authority that the apostle Paul is saying, we command you, this is an imperative for you. Brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in according with the tradition that you have received from us. What is the tradition? It is Christ crucified and risen. This tradition is the Great Commission. This is the propagation of the gospel to all nations. And why is there a warning for idleness? Because if you get too close to people who are static and idle and just downright lazy, it might prohibit us, it might detour us for being on mission for the Lord Jesus. So he says... Stay away from those who are walking, abiding, living in this state of idleness and even laziness. Because at the end of the day, what is most important is the furtherance of the gospel. What you have heard from me, you teach faithful men who will also be able to teach and teach and so forth and so on. Now for this, the church, for us, it might be something like this. Getting complacent, local church. Getting complacent or idle, even when you know the consequences of laziness will hurt the walk, your walk with the Lord first and in the long run. And if the church needs something, if the, if, if the church is in need of something that is very important, 
idleness, laziness, and complacency will keep us from even caring about it. During the height of the pandemic, I know that's probably curse words from the pulpit. But during the height of the pandemic and during the shutdown, it was, it was very easy for us to become idle. Even when, there was, even when the lockdown was lifted and we were able to go out a little bit more, and, and there was nothing, it was nothing more for, enjoyable for me to, to be able in the evening to, to be able to sit with, in my recliner with my feet up and relaxing. And I still like to do that. But for me, it became a question of where is my threshold of idleness? What is my threshold of, of laziness for me? When has it become for me that I am being lazy and not about the business of the kingdom? When is it for me that I have become idle and don't care about the business of the kingdom of God? Let me, let me ask you this. You don't have to answer. don't have to raise your hand. But have you ever had this thought? Have you ever had this thought, particularly with ministry and things within, within ministry? Ah, let somebody else do it. Ah, let somebody else do it. The Proverbs 31 woman, her food, as it is, the bread, was not of idleness, but to work to build a God-honoring home. And the Proverbs 31 woman is pictured here as a person who has a, a quality of work and not just busy work. There's a difference. We also, on the other side of this coin of laziness, we have a culture that will work itself to death. And that's not everybody. But there is a culture where there is this high pedestal of, of, of work, where, where work becomes an idol. And so the, the balance here for us to learn is that there is a, a balance of, of quality work and not just busy work. There is, there is a vast difference there. Some people have made work an idol. They have set it up. They, they work all the time. People make ministry an idol. And they invest so much time in this work that it becomes a detriment to the rest of of their family life. And so the picture we get from the Proverbs, from the Proverbs 30 woman is a well-meaning work and certainly not setting by idle. And so here's the picture we get, how it might affect the follower of Jesus. Lord, the Lord did not call us to sit by idly while the rest of the body is serving King Jesus. In fact, this statistic I've heard before, whether it is exaggeration or not, is that 10% of the church does 90% of the work. The Lord did not call us to sit by idly while the rest of the church does the work, or to say, ah, let someone else do it. Pure slothfulness has probably been responsible for more shortcuts in life than one would like to admit to. And I, I'll never forget this. I worked with the city of Jacksonville for 11 years, and I had a supervisor would often say, shortcuts is going to get you hurt in the end. Shortcuts is going to get you hurt in, in the end. Most of us continually are on the lookout for, at least subconsciously, for a better way to perform difficult or routine tasks. And so, yeah, if you can, if you can do it easier or quicker or even safer, yeah, sure, pursue that path. Pursue that path. As I mentioned before and even now, upholding biblical integrity 
is a difficult discipline. I heard, I heard a, a fellow tell me that there was a church. I won't mention where it was at. I won't mention what county it was in. I won't mention, I don't want you to put the context clues together. I don't want you to know who it is. But there was a church that was preaching, from my understanding, from a self-help book in, in the pulpit, and never, ever opened God's Word. Upholding biblical integrity is a difficult discipline, but must be done. Evangelism is a difficult discipline, but must be done. And missions is a difficult task. In fact, in the body of Christ, I cannot think of anywhere. I cannot think of anywhere in the disciplines of our faith or a shortcut, where a shortcut or laziness is a valued commodity. In the disciplines of our faith, there is no shortcuts in growing in our faith. There might be an easier way to do it, such as reading the Word. You might put it on and hear the audible version of the Word. You might have somebody who sits down and is able to teach you more so. So there are ways to help you in your faith, but there are no shortcuts in the disciplines of our faith. I remember reading this quote that said, some people would do anything to be able to do nothing. And it made me think of this, um, the, the trajectory of a, of a let's say, a, um, a, somebody who is addicted to a substance, whether, whether it be alcohol, drugs, or whatever it might be, they will work to get that next fix. They will abuse, they will manipulate, they will go from doctor to doctor, they will go, if, if it's on prescription drugs, if it's alcohol or if it's whatever, they will, they will manipulate, they will twist, they will lie to get that next fix. And I thought to myself, if they would work that hard in getting clean, if they would work that hard in trying to get over that addiction, then they might actually be able to get over said addiction. Uh, with that sounding over simplistic, I reiterate that some people will do anything to be able to not to do nothing at all. But the virtuous woman in Proverbs teach the follower of Jesus to be about the business of the Lord until he returns. Look at verse 29. Here's what the husband says. He, has, he says, many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Now, who in here, I mean, I would be able to say I have the best I have the best mother of all, the best wife. Every man in here would say, I have, I have the best mother of all time. At least I hope you would. My wife is the best mother. You might be able to say that of all time. And who in here would, I mean, would, would be so bold as to say, to say that you surpassed them all? And this is what, what true beauty looks like in a virtuous woman. This is what true beauty looks like. The real beauty lies within the truth that she speaks, the doctrine that she adheres to, which is the word of God, and then to live out what she knows is truth. In her simplicity of worship and in her holiness, it is evident in her life that she loves the Lord. In fact, the very foundation of, of the virtuous woman we'll read in just a minute is that this is a woman who fears God. Her beauty shines through as she engages in the good works through the glory of, of, of Adonai, through the good works of, of the Lord. She 
She gives glory to Him through the work of her hands. As a matter of fact, in this verse, we get the overarching notion that this woman is virtuous. In fact, this, this word, maybe in, even in your King James, uses this root word for virtuous. Uh, the ESV says excellent. Use the word excellent, which just this idea of strong or strength. So this is the fruit of the strong woman. Uh, we could substitute that word virtuous for, for strong. And here's the picture we get. We get a, the picture of a strong motherly figure, a strong wife in the home who compliments her husband well and her husband compliments her well. Now here's the thing. If one really wants to take up the mantle of feminism today, these are some good verses. These are some good verses. If we want to take up the mantle of true femininity in the world, these are some verses and a great, start, and a great starting point for many. Number two, excellence in our walk with Christ begins with the fear of the Lord. Verse 30 and 31, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hand and let her works praise her in the gates. It is interesting that these two things can be good things. Charm and beauty. And for any woman, these can be very, very good. Very good things used appropriately. But they are not what is the most important. Charm or kindness can be faked. Sometimes we might see it today when somebody who's overly kind or overly charmful, sometimes it could be faked and sometimes it's even two-faced. As he says, charm can be deceitful. It can be, it can be false. It can be a false pretense. It can be hypocritical. The word charm implies kindness. You could be overly kind. Uh, pleasantness, over, overly pleasant. In other words, the people can fake it. In the avenue of the Greek theater, one would call this hypocrisy. Wearing a mask of many. Same goes for beauty. It might not necessarily be faked. Maybe sometimes it can be. But it does fade away. Age takes its toll on the most beautiful person in the world. But here is the lasting value of the strong woman. Here is the lasting value of what makes a woman virtuous. What lasts through generations is the reverential worship to the Lord. Now the word here that is used for fear is one that is more inclined towards deep reverence and worship. So let's, let's rephrase that verse. Let's read it in this, in this way. It says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who worships the Lord is to be praised. That's the kind of person that is beautiful and admirable. And for the men, we might say that is what makes a man handsome, maybe, even. 
Albert Barnes said this at the end of Proverbs. He said that the very last lesson of the book is the same as the first. It is that the fear of the Lord is, is, is the condition of all womanly and as well as all manly excellence or strength. Now, Peter mentions this in the first letter that bears his name. In fact, in 1 Peter 3 and verse 3, he says, Do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing that you wear. In other words, in other words, don't worry so much about the external things of beauty. We might say it this way in this vernacular. God sees the heart. God sees what's on the heart. God knows the mind. God knows the heart. We don't have to put on a front for God to know our heart. Now, I've got some friends uh, who are in other denominations uh, who might focus more on the external things. A sad reality is I've got some friends in other churches who would be more worried about what I have on this morning, whether I've got a vest, a sweater on, or a, or a suit jacket. would be more worried whether or not my hair is combed a certain way, whether or not what, I, what, I, what I'm wearing or the way that I, that I present myself. They're more so worried about the external things than they would be the internal things of the heart. And that is what Peter is giving a warning to and about. He says, do not let your adorning be external. And verse 4 says, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart. God knows the heart. With the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. God searches your heart and not your wardrobe. The early patristic father, Tertullian, once counseled to young women by saying this. He said, clothe yourself with the silk of piety. Clothe yourself with the satin of sanctity, with the purple of modesty, so that God himself will be your suitor. So recollection on that piety, sanctity, and modesty. A good woman, a good mother is worthy of honor and respect, and so we, we give the women of, of our lives honor and, res, and respect through that. The Proverbs of the virtuous or the strong woman is really a reminder to bear fruit. We are thankful for our strong mothers, our strong wives, but one can learn much from these passages on the fruit that we, we are to bear as Christ followers too. Every follower of Jesus will bear some spiritual fruit. Somewhere Sometime, somehow, those who are abiding, walking, living in Jesus will have fruit to bear. Otherwise, may I be so bold as to say that that person is not a believer? Charles Ryrie said, not to be uh, fruitful is to be faithless. Without faith, there is, uh, there is no salvation. Without faith, therefore, there is no salvation. Now, this, of course, does not imply that we will always bear fruit. Okay. It doesn't mean every step in our life we're going to be bearing fruit for the kingdom. Sometimes we fail. Sometimes we fall. Sometimes we falter. It doesn't always mean that it will be visible, too. You're not always going to see the fruit 
The world isn't going to see everything you do. But my understanding of, of Christian fruit is, is dictated, it is mapped out, it is sanctioned by Scripture. And we see a snippet here in verse 31 of Proverbs. What do we see? We see trustworthiness. We see goodness. We see well-motived service to family. We see somebody who is charitable. We see somebody who is, who is a worker. And those are all things that can be implied to women or men in the outside world. These people can be charitable. They can be workers. They could, they could be trustworthy. But it is only a person who worships the Lord rightly that can be implied to the Christ follower today. Most of these fruits that are listed, the fruit of the, that I just mentioned, they are not exclusive to the believer except one. But certainly they are helpful. And so, that being said, where do we turn? Where do we turn so that we can get a fruit of the Spirit? Well, we know that in Galatians chapter 5, don't we? Well-known verses in Galatians 5. I want to close on these words as a reflection upon the fruit that we are to bear in this lost and dying world. So let me, let me back up for a moment. Proverbs 31 is trustworthiness, goodness, a service to her family, charitable, a charitable worker, a person who loves and worships the, word, the Lord rightly. Galatians 5.22 says this, In opposition to the lust of the flesh, or the binding of the flesh, the fruit of the Spirit is this. Let's say them together. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are what are listed in the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 through 23. And why are the fruit of the Spirit listed here? Why is this for the believer? Why is this just for the believer? Because they are the characteristics of the precious Lord Jesus Christ. They are the characteristics of a Christ follower. Albeit that he is perfect in every one of the fruit that I listed. Jesus is perfect in love. He is perfect in joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. We are to be conformed to Jesus Christ so that we might grow a little stronger in love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. To be conformed to the image of Jesus. So yeah, the virtuous woman has some things to teach us on bearing fruit. And if you were to walk out of here right now, one of the things you ought to keep in your mind is that the main fruit of this virtuous woman is that she had a worship for the Lord, a fear of the Lord. And what we also would learn as those who are walking in Christ is to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy. Those things that we find in Galatians 5, 22 and, and 23. So yeah, some lessons from Proverbs 31, 27 through 31. The fruit of a virtuous woman. Would you take some time to pray with me this morning?